0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Martial Media Montage, episode 119, where I talk about three movies and anime and some four video games I was playing. So, if you want to hear me talk about uh, four—excuse me, three movies and then an anime—listen to the first 25 minutes of this episode. If you want to just hear me talk about some games, it's a 10-minute segment. So, this episode's only going to be about 35 to maybe 37 minutes. Uh, that being said, I guess let's get right into it. I have gorillas going on in the background, pretty much the entirety of the episode. The original album. Uh, So here it is, episode 119, everybody, let's go! What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Martial Media Montage, episode 119, where I'm going to be talking your next Robo Vampire, Prison 1987, and Chainsaw Man the anime, along with uh, some games. But uh, I will probably just talk about these four real quick, take a quick break, and then I will come back and finish off the episode with uh, some games. But here it is. First film I watched was a You're Next. I was on duty with a buddy of mine, and uh, we were scrolling through my hard drive. And yes, I have the Gorillas playing in the background. The original first album that came out, I believe, in 99, 2000, around there. And uh, it still holds up, man. I was just in the mood for it, so I decided to play some of the Gorillas. Uh, but anyway, I was on duty, <clears throat> and we were looking through it, and I was like, I've heard of this one. And uh, I know it came out. It's weird to think. 13 years ago, and I finally watched it. And I was thoroughly impressed. It, it deserves the rating that it has. And it has a 6.6 out of 109,000. I mean, hell, I'd even give it like a 7. I thought it was a solid, solid entry into the slasher genre. Kind of borderline revitalizing it. Just bringing it back. And I haven't really seen anything as good as this, I guess, since then. Since it came out 13 years ago. But anyway, you're next 2011 rated R an hour and 35 minutes. Uh, it's a drama horror thriller. As I've stated, essentially a slasher. Um... When the Davidson family comes under attack during their wedding anniversary getaway, the gang of mysterious killers soon lean, leans, excuse me, learns one of the victims harbors a secret talent for fighting back. It's uh, one of the guy's uh, girlfriends who was from Australia and she was basically just raised in like a survival camp and it shows. she kicks ass. Anyway, directed by Adam Wingard, let's see what else this individual did because I've never heard the name. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, he directed the first VHS, and that movie kicks ass. Oh, he did Godzilla vs. Kong. Okay, alright, so he's definitely known in the business, but I never heard the name before, so okay. Bravo, because all those movies that I just mentioned, including this one that I've seen, were awesome. I had a great time. So anyway, let's see who it stars. I don't recognize any of these people in this film, like, at all. Uh, I would like to think that they were all a bunch of no-names. I'm not even going to name any names, because none of them are anything that I can recognize from anything. But... It, like I said, nonetheless, the movie was awesome. I thought I thought they all did a great job. The casting was well done, the way it was shot, the way it was lit, the, uh, the kills in it were awesome. Just really, really cool. Um, the tagline here is, did you remember to lock your door? And that's, yeah, I mean, sure, why not? But I mean, they obviously end up finding other entrances to get into the house regardless. Let's take a look at trivia here. <clears throat> the primary filming location was an antique home that had been empty for 12 years. Okay. Uh, actresses Sharni Vinson and Wendy Glenn were actually roommates and best friends before and during filming. Premiered as part of the Midnight Madness at the 2011 Toronto International Film Festival, where it was picked up by Lionsgate for distribution. However, even though the film subsequently played at other festivals, it was not given a wide release until August of 2013. We've got two more here. Both Joe Swansburg and Ty West, who play eldest brother Drake and Amy's underground director boyfriend Tariq, are two prominent, number- Mumble Gore Directors, a horror genre in which your next is also included. Okay. Lastly, the masks in this film inspired the masks in the video game Hotline Miami. Me being a gamer, never heard of that one. So, all right, that's all I got on trivia. Some of it was interesting. Some of it I was like, eh, whatever. But what do you expect? Because you never go into this knowing what you're going to expect. Released August 2013, 2013. <coughs> Countries of origin, U.S. and the U.K. Filmed in Columbia, Missouri. United States production companies shoot and Hanway films. Its budget was only one million flat and it grossed twenty six million eight hundred ninety five thousand four hundred eighty one dollars worldwide. And that's yeah, that's impressive for such a low budget horror film. And I felt they did a very good job with it. All right, let's see what Wiki's got on it. Produced on a low budget, as I've just stated, only a million dollars. That's very, very little, especially in 2011. Your next had world premiere. Okay, obviously, the uh, film grossed over. Okay, so basically, what I already uh Stated, And it says it has since gained a cult status, and I I can agree with that, because it was phenomenal. If you haven't seen this slasher, highly, highly recommend it. I expected it to be like the Winnie the Pooh blood and honey uh, horror slasher that was just garbage, in my opinion. I did that on an episode many, many moons ago. Development-wise and production, Barrett wrote the film after Wingard told him that he wanted to do a home invasion film, noting that there were only uh, movies that still truly frightened him. From there, Barrett wrote a script inspired by Agatha Christie mysteries, as well as a combination of screwball comedies and chamber mystery. Barrett would later note that Bay of Blood was probably in the back of his mind while writing this film. That's a uh, Bava film. It's one of the uh, late 70s highly regarded cult classic uh, noir giallo films, although he only realized this after the fact. Wingard credited the film's humor to Barrett's sense of humor and cynicism. Some of the dinner conversations were improvised and based on real-life experiences the filmmakers have with family members. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Filming-wise, it was shot in 2011 at a mansion in Columbia, Missouri. Filming took place over four weeks, so one month. And shooting consisted mostly of night shoots filmed from 7 to 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Wow. Okay. Critical response, review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes reports an approval rating of 79%. All right, I agree with him there. Based on 162 reviews, an average rating of 6 out of 10. The site's consensus reads, Your next is energetic and effective mix of brutal gore and pitch black humor will please horror buffs and beyond. Metacritic gives the film a weighted average score of 66 out of 100 based on 32 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Cinema score, here we go. Giving the film a B- minus on an A to F scale. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I can get on board with all that. Total Film, uh, another um, editor and uh, reviewer here, placed Erin Sharney Vincent at number one on their list of 50 most badass female horror leads. Yes, agreed. She took the fucking show, and it was awesome. Entertainment Weekly placed Erin at number 13 on its list of best heroines in a film. Home Media Wise, film released video on demand December 27, 2013, and via DVD Blu-ray January fourteenth, 2014. That's all I got on uh, Year Next, and like I said, it's... I highly regarded and recommended I I went into this expecting just such shit and I left you know looking at my buddy and we were both like that was actually a really cool kind of throwback to you know how horror movies used to be just entertaining and on your edge a little bit here and there and just it was well done I, I liked it and it had comedic moments too like when one of the brothers gets like an arrow in his back pretty much the entirety of the film and he, he you know jokes about like I can't do anything, because I got this fucking arrow in my back, like, come on, man, it's it's great, recommended, the next film, I don't recommend, because I watched it in, like, maybe, I don't know, three to five sittings, it was hard to get through, the cover art for it is just fucking awesome, uh, Robo Vampire is what I'm talking about here, 1988, not rated, an hour and 30 minutes, Uh, It is also free on Tubi. I want to say I think I got a stream for it, and I just downloaded it and watched it on my uh, phone, and I think I attached it to the HDMI adapter on my TV, and I was like, oh, my God, this is just – oh, it's atrocious. It's really bad. It has a 3.4 out of uh, 1,500 reviews, and rightly so because it's just – it's garbage. It, it smells worse than garbage. <laughs> it is an action horror sci-fi about narcotics agent Tom Wilde, given a second chance at life after being shot and killed. In a futuristic experiment, Agent Wilde has returned to life as an android robot. He is sent on a very dangerous mission. <laughs> if you guys can hear that, my uh, cats are playing in the background. That was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, directed by Godfrey Ho, and he's a well-regarded uh, director. He did a lot of uh, really cool movies like uh, Ninja Squad, Thunder of Gigantic Serpent, and Challenge of the Ninja. Mostly like, you know, sci-fi, martial arts films. And uh, yeah, they're, they're entertaining. They're fun. It's not like anything well-regarded like, uh, you know, Crouching Tiger, like Drunken Master and Police Story and so forth. But they're, they're definitely fun. Okay. And I definitely know I won't recognize any of the people in this film a- at all. I don't think anybody ever will. So, all right, moving on from there. <laughs> God, I love this part in the Gorilla Song. So good. Anyway, let me scroll down here. Trivially, let me take a look. There's actually nothing on a tagline for this film. Uh, the gang war and secret agent footage was lifted from the Thai film Pa Logan in 1984. Lastly, on the DVD cover, the robo-vampire resembles the character from Robocop. Yes, that was pretty much, I think, what sold me, too, when I decided to watch it. I was like, dude, a vampire Robocop movie? I was like, yeah, I was like, that sounds interesting. And then I watched it, and I was like, this is not interesting at all. Uh, I'm talking about it regardless, because I watched it, so... Trying to save you guys from possibly watching this. Or at least if you're interested and you like watching crap, give it a go. Released in 1988 in Hong Kong. Also known as RoboVamp. Produced by Filmark International Limited. And it had a $2.5 million budget. So $2,500,000. And nothing in a gross in terms of uh, sales. But let's see what Wikipedia has to say here. Uh, Okay. Unrelated sequel, actually. There's really not that much on this film. Uh, Devil's Dynamite is a loose sequel that is sometimes billed as Robo Vampire 2, Devil's Dynamite. Or Robo Ninja vs. Vampires. Wow, what a title. It is called Sequel to Robo Vampire, despite the movie having been released a year prior in 87. Steve uh, Sung Hua is a gambler getting out of prison and looking to get revenge on Mary Angelo... I'm sorry, Angela Mao. The crime boss who sent him to the clink. Also on Mary's trail is Alex Ling Yun, the uh, actor a police officer who has the ability to turn into silver, lame, swallowed hero, shadow warrior. So as the any sane person would do, Mary hires an evil Taoist priest to create a group of vampire assassins, a protector, an extremely strange film that matches up vampires, ninjas, and superheroes. I wonder if it's any better. I highly doubt it, but that's all I got on RoboVampire. Uh, if you like watching weird, obscure crap, then go for it. Otherwise, it's just... Like I feel like when I talk about these bad movies, most of the time I'm selling them to you because I had fun regardless, but this one just – it was a slog. It was just hard to get through. Anyway, next film is actually really good, and I sat on it for a long time. I heard about it on Horror Movie Night podcast many months ago. Uh, Prison, 1987, rated R, an hour and 42 minutes. And it, I was enthralled by the way that they described it, as well as the fact that it has Vigo Mortensen in it, you know, from Texas Chainsaw 3, Leatherface, as well as obviously being Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings series. Um, the cover art here tagline says horror has a new home. And that's pretty cool. Um, it has a 5.8 out of 4,700 reviews. And I think it deserves better than that, at least like a six and a half, because it was actually just a well done film. It's labeled as a crime drama horror. I would say I would even include thriller suspense as well. But uh, The Spirit of a Long Dead Prisoner Returns for Revenge, Haunting the Prison's New Governor, directed by Rennie Harlan. I don't recognize the name, so let's see what else this individual did. Uh, Cliffhanger producer. Okay. Cutthroat Island producer. Cutthroat Island doesn't really get a lot of love, and it did have a Super Nintendo game. Uh, I can see why. It was kind of like on the trail end of... You know, uh, I guess pirate fantasy-related type films, and it's it's okay. Uh, maybe I need to rewatch it. He also produced *Devil's Pass*. I've definitely seen the cover art for that, and I've seen that in passing. I've just never watched the film. But *Cliffhanger* for sure is cool, and uh, *Cutthroat Island* it's it's entertaining, but it's nothing to you know brag about. And in my opinion, that is all right. So there's actually a really good cast in this. So Lane Smith is in this. He plays Warden Ethan Sharp. Lane Smith, for those of you who have seen uh, the Mighty Ducks film with Emilio Estevez, the Disney film. Uh, If you guys remember the Hawks, their main rival team, the captain, that's Lane Smith. He is in this and he plays the Warden. Viggo Mortensen, as I mentioned, uh, a.k.a. Aragorn, Lord of the Rings, plays Burke. Uh, Who else is in this? um the guy who there we go officer wallace played by hal landon jr hal landon jr was uh ted's dad who also plays a cop in a uh, bill and ted for those of you that have seen bill and ted and then now you know you're like oh, okay i know that guy there's probably other recognizable people in this but i honestly can't recognize anybody off the top of my head but this is actually a really really good uh well done horror thriller suspense uh supernatural related type, uh, prison film. It it, really cool practical effects too. I I had a lot of fun with this one, highly recommended and regarded this film. I I definitely couldn't go, you know, not recommending it to you guys. All right. The storyline here is a convict is executed via the electric chair for a murder. He did not commit. Uh, they don't necessarily divulge that information that he didn't commit it, but okay. All right. Now I know. And later the prison is closed. The dead convict's soul returns from the afterlife to take revenge, but goes on a killing spree when the prison is reopened after 30 years. Okay. And the tagline here is the same thing. Horror has a new home. And it, yeah, that fits. And it's short sweet to the point. Trivially, the prison where the movie was shot, the former Wyoming state uh, prison located in Rawlins, Wyoming, has daily tours and much of the set remains intact from when the crews filmed there in 87. That's actually really cool. Viggo Mortensen did the bulk of his own stunts. Stunt coordinator Kane Hodder, oh, fuck yeah, dude, Friday the 13th, good old Jason Voorhees gave Mortensen an honorary stuntman shirt at the completion of shooting for this film. The electric chair, which was never used in Wyoming, was built on actual gas chamber of the Wyoming prison, and the death scenes were filmed there. The original chair was carefully removed, and the electric chair was built in place. During the shooting, Viggo Mortensen's convulsions were so violent, the arms of the chair were broken and needed to be repaired. Wow. Uh, Director Rennie Harlan was living in a garage film executive, uh, Venetia Stevenson, in uh, the Valley of California. When he uh, first approached to direct the film, Harlan was paid $50,000, most of which went to his credit card debt. After the film, Rennie Harlan moved to Magic Hotel on Franklin Avenue, L.A., where he also stayed during the production of Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master 88. Okay, that's cool. Most of the inmate extras in the film were portrayed by real-life inmates from a nearby prison to add realism to their performances. The armed guards on the towers were, of course, armed with live ammo at the time. Wow, that's insane. Stephen E. Little, Rhino, was a former Hollywood stuntman who was still a member of SAG, a Screen Actors Guild, who happened to be serving a time for manslaughter that he committed during a ballroom brawl. Wow. Very, very informative and interesting uh, facts here. I also forgot to mention that uh, one of the guys who is in this uh, is Debo from a uh, Friday. He is in this film. and He probably he has a good amount of lines. He actually is really a good actor in this. And he, you know, he sadly gets shot near the end. I mean, I don't really like to do too many spoilers, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good movie. And like I said, I was like, Oh dude, Debo's in this. I was like, that's cool. And he's clearly the biggest, tallest black guy in the film too. Anyway. All right, moving on. What do we got here? Released December 18th. I'm sorry. December 8th, 1987 in the UK. Also known as Presidio, which is uh, Spanish for prison. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Energy drink. <coughs> man. Filmed in uh, Rollins, Wyoming, as I've already stated. Produced by Empire Pictures. Its budget was $4 million and it grossed only $345,704 worldwide. That's... Man, that's a blow to... That's a major blow. Holy crap. But like I said, the movie is well done regardless. Alright, let's see what Wiki has to say. Production-wise, the film was shot on location in Wyoming, as I've stated... Because the facility was slated for demolition, little regard was given for its preservation. The production production crew, not coup, excuse me, yeah, coup d'etat, good old Circle Jerk song, anyway, (laughs) was offered free license to make permanent, oftentimes destructive modifications as necessary. This included drilling a large passage through the prison's reinforced concrete perimeter wall, which was mocked up as a vehicle gate for the film. A majority of the extras portraying prisoners were real life inmates, as I've stated. The execution chamber shown in the film was the original gas chamber replaced uh, after hanging a 1936 legal method of execution for condemned criminals in the state. The chamber was never used for electrocutions in reality. Release The film was given a limited theatrical release in the U.S. by Eden Distributing Company in March of 88. The film was released on 88 on VHS by New World Pictures. It had originally been released on DVD overseas, but the U.S. saved for bootlegs. However. February 19th, 2013, good old Shout Factory, or Vinegar Syndrome, It's in this case it's Shout Factory, released the first official Blu-ray on DVD, first through their new subdivision, Scream Factory. Very, very cool information on this film, and highly, highly recommended and regarded. All right, lastly, I'm actually going to be talking about an anime. It's a short anime. As of right now, there's only one season, 12 episodes. Chainsaw Man, a TV series that came out two years ago. And each episode's about, eh, 20 to 23 minutes. I mean, it's an anime. It's a TV show, right? So, of course, it's going to be about a little over 20 minutes. Following a betrayal, a young man left for the dead is reborn as a powerful devil-human hybrid after merging with his pet devil, Pochita, and is soon enlisted into an organization dedicated to hunting devils. His name is Denji, and he essentially turns into Chainsaw Man, and his ripcord is literally in his chest. So fucking cool. As an 8.5 out of 52,000 reviews. I rounded. It's 8.4, but it's it's really really good it has all the anime tropes very very well done animation really cool graphics uh the story is really cool and intriguing it like it, it's one of those where like they convey a story and then you know it ends and you're like oh man i want to see more because they don't necessarily explain everything and then the next episode they explain something and then they decide to include something else that you're interested in and then once again they just repeat the process they'll end the episode and you're like man i want to know more and then they explain it the next one and so forth uh, I'm almost done with it. I think I'm on episode nine. Uh, I just decided to talk about, regardless, uh, me finishing it so far. But uh, episode eight is a, whoo. that's that's something. There's a lot of shit that happens in episode eight. So be prepared for that if you decide to watch this. It is on Hulu as well as Crunchyroll, and it's also available on uh, Amazon Prime Video. You guys know me. Uh, I use animetake.tv. I find a stream and I download it. That's how I watched it. But uh, it's absolutely incredible, all the tropes are there, the, uh, you know, goofy, quirky acting, you know, drinking, and then, like, uh, you know, here and there, making out, and fondling, and so forth, and just very, very gruesome, violent, and brutal, and just really cool, just, all around, it's awesome, highly recommended and regarded, all right, Uh, More like this, uh, according to what INDB has to say, is uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. I'd say it's relatively similar, as well as Demon Slayer. Both of those are fantastic animes uh, that I would also recommend as well. All right, here we go. Storyline. When his father died, Denji, the main protagonist, who is a 16-year-old kid, who's essentially kind of like a homeless kid who finds Pochita, the uh, little devil who has a chainsaw on his head. Uh, stuck with a huge debt and no way to pay it back. Thanks to the devil dog he saved and named Pochita, he's able to survive through his odd jobs in killing devils for the Yakuza. Pochita's chainsaw powers come in handy against these powerful demons. When the Yakuza betrays him and he's killed by the zombie devil, Pochita sacrifices himself to save his former master. Now, Denji has been reborn as some kind of weird devil-human hybrid. He is now the Chainsaw Man. That's pretty cool. I like that explanation. All right, chivoli let's take a look here. Uh, they only got one thing. So for the first season, each episode of the anime has its own unique end credits. I've noticed that. Uh, MAPPA's studio animated 12 unique end credits with songs from 12 different artists. Okay. Yeah, not too many animes do that. They usually stick with the same intro and the same uh, end credits. But interesting for this show. What do we got here? Released October 11th in 2022. Uh, produced by MAPPA and Shui Isha uh, Production Company. All right, let's see what Wiki has to say here about it. Uh, Okay. Chainsaw Man follows the story of Denji, an impoverished teenager who makes a contract that fuses his body with that dog-like devil named Pachita, granting him the ability to transform parts of his body into chainsaws, i.e. essentially his head looks like a giant chainsaw, including the uh, uh, engine and so forth, and it has teeth, which is really cool, and then his arms essentially become chainsaws. Uh, Denji eventually joins the public safety Devil Hunters, a government agency focused on fighting against devils whenever they become a threat to Japan. The second arc of this story focuses on Asa uh, Mitaka, a high school student who enters into a contract with Yoru, the war devil, who forces her to hunt down Chainsaw Man in order to reclaim what he had stolen from her. By August of 23, the manga sold over 26 million copies in circulation, the best-selling manga series of all time. Wow! Wow! that's incredible I mean it is very good and entertaining I just didn't realize it was that regarded already Uh, it has been overall well received by critics who have commended its storytelling characters dark humor and have particularly highlighted its violent scenes within the context of the story yeah I mean it literally has everything that I want to see via an anime that's probably what makes it the best-selling one of all time according to you know manga enthusiasts all right what do we got here Uh, they're just going over the episodes I don't feel like doing that okay Excuse me, once again, the energy drink, sorry. And I do have water, too. Despite the series' violence and dark humor, uh, Tatsuki Fujimoto, the uh, creator, always wanted to serialize a weekly shounen jump. He had the feeling that this would work, but it would be buried if he had made a jump-like manga. So he tried to retain much of its individuality as a creator while making only the structure and characters jump-like. He also said that despite its success in the magazine, he wanted to write the second part of the series... ...on Shonen Jump because he wanted to do a completely different series from the first part. According to him, there is not much of a difference in working between Shonen Jump and Shonen Jump Plus. Explaining that there were a few depictions that got stopped during the rough draft stage, he also allowed anything that he wanted in regarding the logic of the story. Regarding the anime adaptation of the series, he talked to people handling it and was comfortable leaving things to them. When the anime series was announced... Uh, Fujimoto commented, Chainsaw Man is like a copycat of Dora Hidoro and Jujutsu Kaisen. I've heard of Dora Hidoro, I just haven't watched it yet. So that sounds interesting. If it's relatively similar, I will have to watch it. Let me continue. And the studio of Dora Hidoro and Jujutsu Kaisen will produce its anime. I have nothing to say. Please do it. So, I mean, if he approved... And if it's both of the, I mean, obviously I've seen Jujutsu Kaizen, but uh, if Doro is similar, then I'll probably like that as well. Okay. According to the manga editor, Shihi Lin, Fujimoto is heavily involved in the production of the anime series, stating Fujimoto san has seen all of Chainsaw Man's pitch documents, story structure, scripts, and even the storyboards. He has continued to be in close contact with Mappa's anime team. MAPPA producer Makoto Kimura also commented that Fujimoto's involvement extended to the casting, planning, and music because the staff wanted the anime to capture as much of the manga's original vision as possible, including the violence and gore. MAPPA approached Shueisha with the, par- uh, the pitch for the project. That's cool. Very, very well done. Okay, uh, critical reception. What do we got here? I don't... No... Uh, okay what do we got here review aggregator rotten tomatoes here we go first season of chainsaw man approval rating at 97 percent. hell yeah based on 89 reviews average rating the site's consensus reads distinguished by its rip-roaring animation like i've said it's fucking incredible its animation and serrated sense of humor chainsaw man is an action anime with teeth agreed and yeah i mean that's actually i would say a pun on the chainsaw so that works i like that Uh, Raphael Motamayor of IGN praised Chainsaw Man's cinematography, character dynamics, approach to its emotional moments. He also described it as a successful mix of workplace comedy, horror, and action. Yeah, it literally has everything that I want to see, and they managed to do it in just 12 episodes so far. Uh, IGN and Polygon praised the action scenes and its sudden total shifts, I'm sorry, tonal shifts, not total, from emotional scenes to juvenile 2006 horror comedy. Yeah, it's very well done. It's not just like, Oh, hey, do you want to make out and have sex with me? Okay, let's kill this. Like They they do a very good uh, shift in terms of tonal judgment and emotional uh, shift and adjustment. While Polygon also praised its 12 different ending scenes. Yes, I can agree with that. All right, that's all I have on these uh, four little things that I talked about, three movies and anime. Let me take a quick break and I will be right back. Alright, I'm going to close out this episode with uh, four games that I was playing. Well, actually, I guess technically five. I've been playing a lot of still of uh, Paper Mario 64. I'm about maybe three quarters of the way through it. I think I'm on the fifth star out of seven that you have to collect. Uh, once again, very, very fun uh, RPG. It is on Nintendo Switch Online for those of you that want to play it. If you have Nintendo Switch Online, highly recommended and regarded. And I've only had to maybe use YouTube walkthroughs a couple times. Like, hey, what do I need to do this? Or where do I go from here type deal? But in terms of a uh, strategy, it's really not that difficult in terms of uh, fighting bosses and so forth. But anyway, first game I'm going to be talking about, I was playing the NES online. Uh, I already have a lot of these games via um, my NES mini because, yes, I it, you know emulated a lot of these games. But uh, first one I'm going to be talking about is Shadow of the Ninja. Originally released in Japan as Yami no Shigotin' Kage. Uh, The dark operative Kage is what it's known as on the uh, Famicom. It is a a side-scrolling action game developed by Natsume uh, for the NES in 1990. It's relatively similar to if, like, Batman on the NES and uh, Ninja Gaiden on the NES came together. The game revolves around a pair of ninja sent to assassinate a dictator in a futuristic version of New York. A port was planned for the Game Boy, but was released and rebranded from... uh, Excuse me, form as Ninja Gaiden Shadow. Um... It, it's you only get one life you get one health bar that's relatively similar to how the health bar looks like on uh, capcom's Mega Man. um it, what a to jump uh b to attack and your jump is rather floaty you can jump like i don't know it, let's just put it in a frame of reference probably 10 to 15 feet in the air or something i guess probably because you're a ninja the cover art is really cool though it's very very early 90s like just action you know double dragon-y animation i guess it's Uh, it's fun, but it's, it's very, very difficult. Like I said, you get one life and that's it. Then it's like game over and you start over. Like I kept getting hit by everything, but it's literally how it feels is if Batman and Ninja Gaiden came together and maybe I just got to keep practicing because man, I sucked at this game. It, it, It is really cool. It's just, holy crap, incredibly difficult. Um, I would recommend it. It's still an excellent game. It's just difficult. It has that NES difficulty stamp of approval. That's for sure. All right. Next game I was playing was a uh, Gradius, the classic shooter that was probably better on uh, Turbo Graphics, but uh, you know, developed by Konami on the NES, side-scrolling shooter. First game in the Gradius series, originally released as a coin-operated arcade game in '85. The player maneuvers the spacecraft known as the Vic Viper and must defend itself from various alien enemies. The game uses a power-up system called the Power Meter, based on upon collecting capsules to purchase additional weapons. Uh, Japan, it released the game under the title Nemesis, but subsequent home releases have since used the original title. During its development, it had the working title Scramble 2, originally intended to be a follow-up to Konami's early shooter Scramble in 81. Home versions released for various platforms, such as the Famicom, MSX, and the PC Engine, as I mentioned, or the TurboGrafx in the States. Major success in 86, becoming the year's highest-grossing arcade game in London, one of Japan's top five arcade tabletop games. While the Famicom port sold over a million copies in Japan just that year alone in '86, Gradius was acclaimed for its gameplay, and unique power-up system, along with Namco's Xevious. It is cited being one of the most important shooter games, having paved the way for many similar games to follow. Yeah, I could definitely see this being the front runner and foreground for shooters to come forever. And uh, it's fun. You know, it's a little slow, it's a little difficult, and you know, fortunately, when you die, you only like maybe backtrack uh like maybe 10 20 feet or something i guess for lack of a better phrase in the game you start from where you are you get a couple lives it's fun and it's definitely difficult to an extent but i mean life force is relatively similar as well as a uh, salamander which was also the japanese port uh similar to this on the uh, pc engine as well as the uh, famicom but a uh, classic konami game shooter um You know, involves the Konami code up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, select, I believe is the, yeah, B, A, select, start. Uh, This is actually where the Konami code came from before utilizing that in a Konami's Contra, and then you input the code at the title screen and get 30 lives. It came from this game initially. For those of you that didn't know, and for those of you that know, I said it again anyway. All right. I will uh, touch up a little bit on the PC Engine port. Released November 15th, 1991 exclusively in Japan. Released on a 2 megabit Hue card. The Hue cards essentially look like if you had a uh, your little fucking debit card and you input it into the system. Yes, they used to hold video games on basically a credit card. It had relatively few omissions compared to the NES versions and added a desert planet stage similar to the bone planet stage on the MSX version. Because of the lower resolution of the PC Engine compared to the original arcade hardware, the PC Engine features some slight vertical scrolling. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah, that's all I really got on this. I mean, Gradius is a classic shooter, well-regarded, one of those that you should play. All right. So I also noticed on the uh, N64 online with Switch, they had Sin and Punishment. I've heard about this game, and I was like, oh, my God, they have it. I have to test it out. So it is a rail shooter developed by Treasure, uh, the guys behind – fuck, what is it? Uh, They did Mischief Makers, I believe, as well on – yes, on N64. Uh, for the N64, originally released in Japan only in 2000. This story takes place in the futuristic 2007. Wow, whoop-de-doo, you know, 17 years ago now. <laughs> Whatever. The player takes on the roles of Saki and Aaron as they fight to save Earth from destruction. The game employs a unique scheme that uses both the D-pad and the control stick on the N64 controller, allowing players to maneuver the character while simultaneously aiming the targeting reticle. The player must shoot enemy projectiles while also dodging attacks to survive and progress through the game. It is it is fun. It's, it's very well done. I mean, I really enjoyed Panzer Dragoon for what it was, for example, another rail shooter similar to uh, Star Fox, but I still think Star Fox is better. Uh, if I had to put these in top three, I guess, uh, descending order, I would probably still go number one, Star Fox. Then I would probably choose this, and then I would choose Panzer Dragoon. There were just certain sequences in Panzer Dragoon that just gave me like... I don't know, like, vertigo or some sort of, like, headache. It just, it, it like, hurt my eyes. There was, like, a level where you're inside this, like, mechanism. The mechanism moves around while you kind of remain stationary, or at least so it looks. I'm sure it was impressive graphics at the time. But anyway, I'm talking about Sin and Punishment here. Very, very well-fun rail shooter. Uh, Definitely, definitely recommend it. Uh, Similar to, like, if uh, Space Harrier on the original Master System in Genesis, as well as the arcade port, was on the N64. Uh, the player character is armed with a sword, which can be used to damage or destroy nearby enemies and redirect projectiles back at the enemies. That's news to me. So I'm glad I'm reading this because I'm learning certain things because I played it uh, for a decent amount of time. I think I beat like the first two bosses and then I died and I was like, All right, I'm going to play something else. But uh, it, it is, yeah, it, very, very fun. I was thoroughly impressed. Uh, if you want an actual cart, you can probably just, you know, buy the Japanese cart or you can probably buy an English translation cart. You know, probably a reproduction cart for maybe, I don't know what... 20 30 bucks and then just play it on your 64 at home right here in the states definitely definitely well regarded and a lot of fun totally think it's well worth your time if you like arcade uh, on-rail shooters all right speaking of shooters the last one i'm gonna be talking about here i don't really have too much information on it is a uh, war of arrow it's literally an arcade port that was just released on the switch i think i paid maybe seven dollars fifty cents for it developed by a it was released originally in arcades in 1993 it is part of the arcade archive series on switch Uh, I don't really like to do too many, I say this, I don't like to do too many digital games, but a lot of my games on Switch are digital because sometimes, I don't know, I don't really feel like purchasing the uh, physical cartridge, although I would rather own that because I'm a physical hound. I like to have it in my hands and feel it. Um, I know I can go and play Asia, or when I go back to Japan, I can possibly purchase stuff like that there, but anyway, it's a very uh, fun single-player vertical scrolling shooter. And, uh, I didn't get very far. I mean, a lot of these arcade games were, you know, (laughs) coin munchers with the intentions of taking your money and they succeeded because, uh, I mean, you know, it was $7.50. I mean, obviously I own it forever now and it's only 104 megabytes. So you have plenty, plenty of room on your switch if you decide to download this game. And if you like playing old school arcade shooters, it's worth your time. I think I got maybe to the first boss and I died. I mean, I probably need more practice with it, but it is pretty fun. There's obviously a uh, weapons upgrade system. You know, you open up these little uh, boxes and so forth when you shoot them and you can upgrade your uh, ship. You can also reposition your uh, shooting ability too. Like if there's uh, enemies behind you, you can shoot behind you and so forth. It's, it is pretty fun. There's another one that's on there too, that I have on my wish list. That's another shooter. Perhaps I might purchase that one, you know, for another $7 and play that because the only other way you're going to be able to play these arcade shooters is if you have some sort of a ROM emulation uh, capability on your computer, for example. Or if you have a, a tabletop arcade, same thing. You would essentially download the ROM, put it on a microSD, and then put it on your uh, arcade machine. But hey, they had it for $7.50 on Switch, and I love me some arcade shooters. Shmups is what they're also known as, and I'm glad that I purchased it. So there you have it, episode 119. I talked about three movies and anime and some video games that I was playing as always, everybody, thank you for the love and support and sticking with me this long. Sorry it took me a week and a half or so to update you guys with a new episode. But I've honestly just been playing Paper Mario. <laughs> I haven't really watched too much. That's why I was like, all right, I got to watch something. So I decided to watch Prison 1987 last night and talked about it. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, this long journey. I can't believe I'm coming up on 120 episodes in the last you know, year and some change or whatever I've been doing this. So as always, everybody, I'm like a dead... <laughs> it's you know beating a dead horse here but uh, as always thank you for the love and support everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a good day thank you